got my ottoman over here. I got my feet propped up. Are your I'm people about to bring you your grapes and feed you your grapes? Yes. Hey, hey, hey. welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the mayor, Heath Sheeran, and the host of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pumped you're here today because I got my friend Eric Garcia here today, hanging out with us today. And we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk to you about my good friends over at Smart Choice. Smart Choice is an agency network of over 10,000 independent agencies and more than 120 carriers. And all combined, they represent 11 billion with a B in written premiums. It's unreal. And that is the reason why they are the fastest growing agency network. And it's ridiculous. Uh, their agency-friendly contract puts agencies first. You can grow your business, increase your revenue, and be able to put your own clients first by partnering with Smart Choice. It, it is uh, one of those things that if you just go to smartchoice.com, no, smartchoiceagents.com. I wish I could edit that out, but don't have time today. So yeah, smartchoiceagents.com. And uh, tell them the mayor sent you, and you're going to be so glad that you did. Also, my good friends at Canopy Connect, your one-click solution to getting all those deck pages. You need to quote your prospects. And uh, shout out to my man, Nick Berry, who just recently started working over there. He's a, a former two-time guest of the show, a marketing genius. Man, you partner that up with Tolga Tazel and with Casey and with the rest of the team over there, developers and software engineers and all the people over there. Getting to connect is a game changer for your prospects, for your referral partners, for your customer journey. It's unreal. You have your link sent to your customers. They click the link. All of their deck pages are uploaded into your dashboard and you've got everything you need from driver's lists to VIN numbers to loss history to everything. Use Canopy.com. Now let me get out of the way and let you get into the show with my main man, Eric Garcia. My man, Eric Garcia. What's going on, brother? What's up, Heath? Man, I, I'll have to say, I, I got to pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh you going to get vulnerable? You going to get I, personal with this? I, I probably am. I've never prayed before doing a podcast before. I'm kind of embarrassed about that. Uh, I, sh I probably should have before, but, you know, it felt good, man. I almost cried a little bit, though. Did you almost uh, cry? I did. You're my brother, almost, man. Come on. It's okay. Crazy. We were able to come together and talk about, like, hey, let's do a podcast. Together. I was like, let's do that. And just pull the curtain. We didn't know where to go with this, so you were like, I'll go where you lead. And I was like, why don't we just go where God leads? And so we just prayed about it. That's pretty cool. Thanks Keith, for Keith is my Sherpa through Insurance Town, y'all. Uh, no, on a serious note, um, for those who, we could probably do a short uh, walk down memory for those who didn't mm -hmm. check it out before. Okay, there's a lot of stuff I want to get into, and we, we only have till tomorrow at 6 a.m. So uh, Yeah, I got to catch a flight, so I have, right. I have about, what, 20 hours? Right, so we got a lot to cover in 20 hours. Um, so hit me real quick, though, on uh, or the Picture audience. Who Who's Eric Garcia? When did we, I don't that. even know when we first met, dude. Like. It's, I think we, we got plugged into some messenger group together, and that's when I first. That, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. 
that is true. And then we've met at a couple of conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some scooting around in one Scoot. city. I don't know where that was. What city were we in? That was in Indianapolis, man. That's what that was. That was in Indianapolis. Me, you, and Xavier. Dude, every if we were going a, a quarter mile or five miles or even like two blocks, we were on the scooters. My Uber bill. I'm like, I didn't even ride Uber. Why is my Uber bill so high? It was all the, it was all the scooters. <laughs> Right, you know, it's right, funny. Right. All the um, all the insurance people yeah. are like, "Oh, it's so dangerous riding those scooters." I'm like, "What? Like, yeah, it's no, really it's dangerous. I would never get on one of those scooters." I'm like, "Come on, man, live a little bit, right?" Exactly. Come on. We were the scooter gang. Electric scooter. That was good. That's that right. man. That was that was a good time. Yeah, that was. All right. So, tell me, who are you? Why? What? What's your story? What's your background? Uh, all the way back to Cuba and your Cuban. Re- I'm yeah. just kidding. Come on. I, my story doesn't. I don't go all the way back to Cuba. You don't, but your I roots was, do. Like, uh, like my my dad likes to tell people, my uh, my kids are um, um, what does he say? They're they're made in America with Cuban parts. That's what my, that's what my dad likes to say. Um, no man, I am um, I'm a financial planner. I've been, I got my certified financial planning designation back in 2015. That That's my main gig. Um, but I also own an independent agency. So I was kind of born into the insurance business. My dad was captive. I'll give you the, the short story. My dad was captive. I went to college, um, you know, kind of figured I'd go into the insurance business. But in, in school, I fell in love with the investment side of the business. I, I met a professor who let me sit in. This dude was like a business owner in New Orleans. And he let me sit in during office hours to watch him trade one of his investment accounts. So I'm like a, I'm like a 19, 20 year old. And yeah, dude, that's this cool. dude is a, this dude's like a multimillionaire and he's trading one of his investment accounts. And he's telling me all the metrics he's looking at. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of cool. I think I want to go into in the investment space. And, and I ultimately ended up going to work for the same captive that my dad worked for because they had an investment arm. So what that did was it kept me connected to his business, allowed me to work with his clients. Um, but I had, you know, I was multiple line agent. I did auto home life, uh, yeah. health. You know, I was 21. I could do everything, right? I couldn't understand why oh, yeah. people niched. I couldn't understand why people just did one line because, all right, I could do it all. Um in 2004, my dad actually and I combined, and I just did the life insurance, and I was doing a lot of variable universal life at the time. So uh, it just so happened that my brother wanted to move back to New Orleans. I said, let's start an independent insurance agency. I'll go get the contracts. I'll do the business side of it. You do the day-to-day right in the business. We took, um, who's my current um, partner, business partner today, Giovanni. I think you've met Giovanni before. Uh, Giovanni came over. He was selling life insurance for us on the on the other side of the business. So he came over. So him and my brother started writing a crap ton of business. And we realized about a year and a half into it that uh, working an independent agency is very different than working in a captive. And that kind of that's what launched me into really the circles where you and I eventually met because I realized, man, I need to I need to shortcut my learning curve really fast. I need to meet some people who are doing some really cool stuff so I can manage this uh, this business yeah. that we launched. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, um, and, uh, and here we are, uh, but I would say, you know, 90% of my time, if not more is on the financial planning side, investment management side, the, the rest is managing, um, strategizing, um, on, uh, on the insurance stuff. Yeah. The group that we were put into, uh, was a podcasting group. And so you mm-hmm. have, you've had a couple of podcasts. Where'd you start the podcasting? You started off with one with a marriage counselor, right? I did. So dude, I was in uh, Vegas for one of Jason Cass's brain shares. And, yeah. um, 
And some guys were talking about doing videos and they're like, you know, when we started doing videos, it just felt right. We really didn't have any direction. It just felt right. We enjoyed it. It was a passion. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that kind of gave me the freedom to say, Hey, you know what? Um, you know, rather than measuring everything, is this going to be successful or not? I just want to do something that I, that I enjoy. And like podcasting seemed like something I wanted to do and just talk yeah. about, talk about stuff, have meaningful conversations with people. Um, but I never pulled the trigger. Then um, a colleague of mine, came to me, this was probably in 2016, maybe 2017, somewhere around there. And he said, hey, look, I can get some marketing dollars. I came across this company that does podcasting in the financial uh, for financial advisors. Um, it's X amount of dollars. I can get you marketing dollars. You just have to match it. Um, and they'll do everything from production to they'll even co-host with you. So I did that. And my initial co-host was a guy named Jag, John Gay, John Jag Gay. It turns out this dude was a DJ in New Orleans. Uh, for one of the radio stations that he's like Jag, that's a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Detroit now. So he was my co-host, and we did nine episodes together. Um, nine months. We worked nine months together. I mean, I had an absolute blast. And I had one guest that came on, I think two or three times, and it was my buddy, Dr. Matt, who was a family therapist, couples counselor. Yeah. And Matt and I would talk about the intersection of money in in um in 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 relationships. So we're like Dude, let's let's launch our own podcast. So we launched building us invest in uh, building us invest in your relationship. So I did nine episodes on my own. Then Matt and I did sixty five episodes of um, and it was kind of a COVID project. It kind of just happened to coincide with COVID yeah. when Matt and I did our thing. And um, yeah, I might have launched the first one in twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen somewhere around there. But Matt and I did sixty five episodes. Uh, we we kind of closed off that. Um, that show because I wanted to do more stuff specifically financial. So then I launched the stuff about money um, podcast. Yeah. That's what I'm doing right now with, with, um, with Xavier, um, my business partner on the, on the financial side. But ironically enough, one of, one of our standing guests is Dr. Matt. And one of our more popular episodes was, was an episode that um, Matt and I did on, on relationships on the stuff about money podcast. Uh, and he's just a really thoughtful, interesting, yeah. conversationalist kind of guy, right? And he also it helps that he's a professor at a universe, local university in the counseling department. So whenever he's on an episode, I mean he's got a he's got an extensive network of of students that he has taught in the past that still kind of follow him and that's awesome. And yeah, seek that him helps. Out, so I think you should hear this. But have you ever seen the show The Chosen? Have I have. I haven't seen. I've only, I've seen like. I've seen like um, season one and half of season two. Oh. I think they're out in season four now, right? Season four is in the theaters right now. I'm, I'm yeah. going to go see it soon. Uh, Stacy and I are waiting. I think February, Valentine's Day actually would make us see it. But anyway, um, so I was watching Jonathan Rumi. It's the guy who plays G or Romy. I think his name Rumi. So like he plays Jesus on that show. And there's yeah. a show on Netflix or on Amazon Prime that's called Jonathan and Jesus. Okay. And it walks through, uh, and this dude, uh, okay, so he's, you could say he's a successful actor now. You know, he's playing Jesus in a major production. And they were showing just like. How hard could that be, right? Right. <laughs> he, those are easy shoes to fill. He didn't oh wear shoes. <laughs> he, didn't, he talks about, yeah. yeah. Come he on. He talks about that. Yeah. That was funny. Sorry. That's good. Uh, come on. Can, we, can we sit in that for a second, that dad joke? Can we just sit on it? Easy shoes to fill. He didn't, come on. That was that was. I'm sorry. I'll have to rewind and edit that to where. <laughs> oh, don't edit it, man. This is ah, that was that was really good, Eric. All right, I'll plug that in there. Okay. I was on a roll, and you with dad. I wasn't ready for it. I just wasn't ready for it. My bad. All right. 
So what fascinated me about this, I'm on, I'm only on episode two, but it's this whole thing following him uh, as playing Jesus and what impact it's had on him. And he's a Catholic guy. I didn't know this. Um, so uh, it shows him still to this day after fairly successful actor now, he is still working uh, as an apartment manager in California oh, where cool. he goes and he still cleans the apartments and fixes stuff and changes light bulbs for old ladies. And, you know, he's still maintaining the grounds in this rundown apartment complex, um, which I thought was pretty cool to see. Why do you find that interesting? I'm curious. And you made the joke before we even started, like, is your people bringing your water and coffee? You know, and it was a joke. I knew you were joking, but like, there's a lot of truth to some of that, and that people get to a certain place where, um, you know, my wife and I were joking. She's in the insurance business as well. Um, Eric's had the privilege of meeting her, uh, and she makes the joke, "I wish I had a personal assistant." You know, and people have that. You know, like I'm sure some of our buddies on that text thread that we have have their own personal assistants, and they have people that do things for them. And here's the dude that's playing Jesus; it's still serving people. When he's making Here, here's what I would say. Money. Here's what I would say about that. I don't have no problem with personal assistance. I mean, I've got I mean, I have people I delegate stuff to all day long. Yeah, here's I'm not saying wrong with it. I'm just here's what's important. Here's what's important. Um we sometimes will rank certain tasks based off of importance, right? Like this is a ta- in our agencies. Think about it in your agency. Well, I don't wanna I don't wanna answer the phone because I don't have time to answer the phone. It's a disruption and I've got work to do. I would say, well, gosh, if you're selling, you want to answer the phone. I and mean, any opportunity to be client facing with someone's probably a good time for you to 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 answer the phone. Well, how do you how do you right. manage that? Like there's certain things that you want to say, like, okay, what's what's important to me? I don't want to delegate those things. So if being connected to people is important, then yeah, keep changing their light bulbs and taking out their trash. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I just I think there's just something to you know, that attitude of still serving in your agency and serving your, you know, uh, serving in your day-to-day life. And so for me, uh, that just hit me, you know, an interesting way. And then when you had already been talking to me about this podcast and, you know, talking about giving and, and, and whatnot, and I've been listening to these episodes of you and Billy and um, Xavier and just some of the conversations you guys have had, it's just been, um, a life altering moment for me to think about my own life. I don't own so anything. context. I don't. I don't know if we introduced that podcast series yet. You're talking about no, it. My bad. Um, okay, so go ahead if you want. That's a perfect segue for you to set that up. So there, yeah. you talked about it earlier because you talked about your podcast. So you've got this podcast stuff about money they didn't tell you in school or teach you in school, right? Teach you in school. Yeah. Great podcast uh, for those that are like me that. Either you zoned out in high school and you didn't pay attention to the stuff they taught you. No, they didn't you. teach you. You could have zoned out. You didn't miss anything. Or they just didn't teach you at all. Yeah. And so yeah. real quick, you know, give me kind of a high level, like what's some of the topics you've discussed on there before we lead up to the last eight or 10 that's coming out? Yeah. So uh, we, we kind of hit a broad range of of topics. So when I first started, I'm like, hey, let's teach people about like Roth IRAs and just yeah. like the 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 components and i'm like you know that's kind of boring dude you can get that stuff online i can i can find that that's not, that that data is a dime a dozen what i right. found was the important things about money is how we relate to it how we think about it um our mindset about money so a lot of the episodes even though sometimes we will talk about some technical stuff i'm always coming back to 
the more the value, the philosophy of money. How do we think about money? Yeah. Uh, how do we think about spending? Um, you know, why is it important to to budget? Why is it important to to manage your cash flow? This morning we actually just recorded an episode on estate planning. How boring is that, right? Estate planning. We talked with an attorney, a good friend of mine, but we talked about why is it important? You know, kind of let's connect the the tool, the technical part with why it's important because when your motivation is right, right? We often talk about the why, right? When your why, when you understand your why, when you understand your purpose, when you understand your motivation, it's a whole lot easier to make the decisions that will set you up for financial success. When I understand why it's important for me to invest for my retirement or save for my retirement, the tool, the mechanism that I use, yeah, it's important, but it is far less important for me to know the vehicle that I'm going to use before I understand why it's even important for me to do it. So that's kind of what we talk about. A lot of my conversations will, uh, and that, that's kind of my MO. That get, that's, what get, that's what gets me juiced up um, talking to people about why money's important, you know, helping people make decisions that are good decisions that align with their values. Like you tell me over here, it's really important for you to spend time with your family, right? So that's why you own your own agency. Awesome. You own your own agency, but you're spending 13 hours a day running your agency and you've told me your family's important to you. How does that, that doesn't jive? Like maybe there's a season, but like we got to figure that out. What are we doing with our money? What are we doing with our cash flow that we can flip that script to where you're putting in normal hours or you're in a position to make work optional. I talk about that often with my clients. Let's make work optional or part of work optional so that what's really important to you, you can fund it. If it's spending time with your kids, if it's coaching, right? Uh, I had the, the fortune of being able to take time off you know, this, this past season and go coach my daughter's basketball team. Man, what, what a great position to be in and say, I can leave my office at 2.30 yeah. and go coach two days a week. And then go coach games and miss parts of work because I've made decisions to set myself up to be able to do that because that's what's yeah. important to me. No, that's huge. Uh, so that's kind of the stuff we talk about. So then, you know, you were led into uh, this conversation that you've had over the last, I've listened to three or four and you said you've got 10 coming out about Get 10. Yeah, we have 10. So yeah. how did you come up? Okay, so first you start talking about you know, stuff that he didn't teach you about money. And you're mm -hmm. talking, I'm, I guess, from a standpoint of saving it and, you know, making the best use of it. Now you're talking about giving it away. Yeah. Yeah. Giving. So tell me a little so bit. So when I was collaborating, when I was collaborating with the couples counselor, we um, yeah. we presented at a counselor's association meeting. And his, this is what he told me. He goes, you know, Eric, counselors, we're in a position to give counsel to people, right? They come to us when they have problems and, and couples, yeah. oftentimes money is a source of problem. Um, but counselors are very ill-equipped to talk about money. We're really uncomfortable with it. They don't teach it to us in school. So let's go present to these counselors about money. And what we'll do is you can talk about maybe um, the, the, the money side of it. And I'll talk about how it manifests itself in, in the clinical setting. Right? So I'm like, okay, what am I going to talk about? So what I did was I came up at the time, my four pillars of financial security. Know where your money is and where it's going, right? You got to understand your spending habits. If you have 401ks, investments, insurance is money, you got to know where it is. You got to understand what it is, right? Once you know where your money's going, you're spending and you know where it is, then we want to plan where we want it to go. Super intentional, right? Uh, budgeting. Um, I don't like, I talk a lot about budgeting, but I like to think about cash flow management. Where am I spending my money? I want to spend it in the right spots, right? So know where your money's going, where it is and where it's going. Plan where you want your money to go. 
Then number three was save for tomorrow, right? I didn't say save for retirement because oftentimes the financial advising space, we just focus too much on retirement planning. Yeah, that's important, but saving for tomorrow means do I have a funded emergency, a well-funded emergency fund? Am I putting money away for retirement? And then do I have other money that I can access that's investing for me? I call it my, my work optional account. Well, we can talk about that later if you want. And then finally, the fourth, um, uh, I'm sorry, the third thing was squash debt, right? The fourth okay. thing was save for tomorrow. Okay, okay. And, and the idea was I wanted to come up with these pillars that were that were applicable to anybody. It didn't matter where you were on the wealth spectrum. It doesn't matter your culture, your ethnicity, your, your socioeconomic position. I mean, these are things that really rich people and really poor people need to be aware of, all the same. And then I got to thinking that, you know what? Everybody I know who has financial success has a giving spirit. They yeah. always give back. So I added my fifth pillar called uh, give to others, right? So then I started incorporating that in the conversations I was having with people that you want to give to others. That's part of being successful. I've recently expanded it to six. I took the first one and split it into two. Know where your money's going. Know where your money's at. Plan where you want it to go. So I may... I may talk about five or six just because I'm my, my list is not expanding per se, but it's yeah. just getting more more clear. But every year, I w in in all my podcast episodes, I said, "Hey, you know, it's the end of the year. Everyone's thinking about giving. Let me do an episode on giving." This year, I was like, "Man, you know what? Giving shouldn't be something that we just do at the end of the year. It shouldn't be something that we just do at Christmas time or or Hanukkah time or." or the end of the year to get our year-end giving, to get our tax deductions in. People who give, like, give all the time. And it's a value. It's like being kind to someone. You're not just going to be kind at one part of the year, right? You're, you're going to be kind always. It's kind of your ethos. It's kind of part of your DNA. So I was like, man, I don't want to just talk about giving in December. So then I was like, you know, insurance agents, man, I, I've met some people in the insurance uh, space with big hearts. So I got curious. See, I'm curious to see what yeah. these people are doing on a regular basis. So I just put a, a, a post out there and I said, Hey, are you doing something really cool in the giving charitable space? I'd love to hear about it. I'm, I, I want to do a project. I'd love to collaborate with some people. And someone pointed me in, in Billy Wagner's direction. And I reached out to Billy and we, we hopped on a call and Billy was doing some pretty cool stuff. And um, I invited Billy. I said, look, I want to have thoughtful, meaningful conversations with people in our space that are doing really cool things um, with their agencies, with their families, would you co-host it with me? And he's like, he was all over. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So we had a list of people that we knew personally, people that were recommended to us, that we heard about some of the things that they're doing, pretty diverse group of people. And we have, most of them are under 12 minutes long, conversations 12 minutes long. And it's it's something, it's simple as, hey, Heath, um, where did you get your giving spirit from? Hey, Heath, what are some your your main passions that you're you're involved in? Heath, what are some things that you've learned through you know your your giving process? And then finally, and this was the main goal. This is this is what I want to accomplish. Um, is I want to engage people who have giving hearts, but haven't necessarily taken the step to engage their community their places of worship, wherever they really haven't quite, or they've kind of gotten lazy, right? We do that. That happens to me. I was inspired throughout this project, but I wanted to engage people and encourage people to, to, to hop back into the yeah. giving game. Like, don't just say it's a value, show it's a value. 
Yeah. And that's what we did, man. It was it was fantastic. It, it was, man. And the, the parts I've listened to, and I can't wait to to finish out listening uh, to the next ones coming out and the ones I've missed. Uh, but so I, you know, I'm 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 a Christian. That's my background. Yeah, that kind of that kind of drives the way I carry myself. Right. Yeah. To me, Jesus was one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Um, but it's not something that I necessarily. I rarely will ever lead with it in business because my value as a financial planner, my job is not to give you advice based off of my value, but off of your value. So it's really important for me to understand your perspective and where you come from. I've got clients that are Christians that are, that are Muslims that are Jewish um, that would probably would be more agnostic. Um, but what I've, what I've found is that giving is a, is a thread that typically runs across humankind. Um, so no, I don't change. I don't. I don't talk about tithing with my clients unless it's important to you. Um, you know, and 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 if you want to jump into it, the tithe is actually only mentioned three times in the New Testament, um, and twice it's referring to to um, to the Old Testament. And the and the other time it's referred to the Pharisees who are. You know, Jesus says, look at them, they give their tithe, but look at their hearts. They're jacked up. Right. Right. So like the amount you give, sure, sure. You know, I don't think, I don't think we tithe. Sure. Organizations need our money so they can function, right? If there's, if there's an organization that's doing good work, they need dollars to, to operate. I get it. But oftentimes the tithe for, for the Christian um, is more about your own heart and your own you know, what are you putting your faith in and your security? And are you putting it in dollars or are you putting it in, in, in God? Right. And, and, and my dad always said, if you want to know someone's heart, look at what they do with their money. hundred percent. Right? If I give money, here, here's what happens. If you make a conscious decision to give a dollar, okay. The, forget your faith background. If I make a conscious decision to give a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars to somebody else or something else, I am making a conscious decision to not spend that thousand dollars on what I want. Yeah. You know, and we're in a very me centered culture. Like what do I want? Like, do you do you, what makes you happy? Right. Um, So giving, I I think giving for the Christian is less about, again, you have to support organizations need money, but the real benefit is me saying, you know what, this money that I'm giving, I'm willing to sacrifice for the, for the need of someone else. Cause it, it, it kind of reorients our heart to what is most important. So controversially speaking, let me ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. It's my show. I can do what I want, but do you find that I guess where I'm trying to go with this is the motivation of people's giving. Is it because biblically speaking, you know, you're going to get that in return or whatever it might be, or, you know, if you're not religious or not Christian and you get tax return back from that, is that a motivating factor for people that you talk to? Or is it truly what you found across the board? It's a charitable giving like art. People love yeah. to give because it feels good. Or if you don't feel like you want to answer that because you want to be Switzerland, I get that. Too. No. Okay. So I'll tell you, and this is anecdotally speaking. Let's talk about the series that we just recorded. The taxes did not come up once, I don't think. Maybe, okay. maybe in passing. Okay. Right? None of these people were giving because they were going to get a tax deduction. They were giving out of the goodness of their heart. And, and here's the reality. Awesome. Most people listening, probably you're not even getting a tax deduction for your for your giving anymore, right? Because the, the standard deduction is sure. so high. If you're if you're 
filing jointly, like I think what's like twenty three or twenty four thousand dollars. So if you're yeah. if you're if you're um, Schedule A, you know your tax, your um, your real estate taxes, your interest, mortgage interest, and giving is not over that twenty four twenty five thousand dollar number. You're not you're not you're not itemizing. You're not getting a deduction. So like to give purely off of tax reasons is 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 I would say a poor initial reason to give. Now, if you're mega high net worth, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some shrewdness and some, some, you know, prudent to, to give from a tax standpoint. And there's yeah. different tools and, and vehicles that we can use. And yes, we can, we can lump giving together in, you know, in, in a single year. So you can take advantage of deducting it. Uh, there, there is some wisdom in some of that, but what I always tell people is if you give everything this year, and you don't give next year, you got to think, you know, and I love encouraging people to give to local organizations that, that you can see the money at work. And if you're lumping everything together because you want a tax deduction, think about the impact that that has on the budget of that, of that nonprofit. So I never want to see anyone make a money decision purely off of taxes, right? That kind of, that kind of defeats the entire purpose of like, I'm going to support this, 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 nonprofit. And if there's anything you know about nonprofits, if you've ever sat on the board of a nonprofit or ever gone to any fundraising event, steady, regular giving is so important to them so they can plan their budget, so they can pay their people, so they can fund their programs. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, the people that we talked to, it is, these are just people, and most of them are, they got their giving spirit because they observed it in somebody else. I would watch my dad. I would watch yeah. um, people at my place of faith, right? And it was—it just became this ethos, this DNA. That's just how you act around people. You just give of yourself. You serve them. You you share with them, right? And that that was interesting to me. So yeah, the motivation is typically internally placed. It's coming from the inside, right? Um, yeah, some people some people give to show, right? You know. Um, you know, they want people to see and, 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 you know, we had a couple people who declined to participate in this project because they wanted to be private about their giving, which I hundred percent respect. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. point of this wasn't to be like, oh, showy, Hey, look what, you know, um, Vonda Copeland was on Vonda, you know, participates in foster care. Beautiful story. Oh my God. She uh, cries every time she talks about it. About and just, just like things like that, like, yeah. The, the time yeah. uh, Margaret Rutherford was on and she talked about going to a school and reading to a kid for 30 minutes or letting a kid read to you. Wow. She also she also coached the special needs swim team and yeah. the stories, man, the stories will make you cry. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, people's motivation is typically I saw someone else do it. This is what was instilled in me and I'm doing it. This is why if you're listening and you have kids. You need to be the person that you want them to be because they are watching you. Yeah. You can you can use your words all day long to train your kid, to teach your kid, but they are watching you 100%. like a hawk. This is why I tell people, this doesn't get me into trouble, but as a financial advisor, it's not like the sexiest thing to talk about is you know, a lot of my clients have money. They have means, especially in the insurance space, man. People are cash flowing a lot of money, right? We can, we can, yeah. Most of us can do anything that we want at least once. Yeah. Okay. Like if you think about it, right? Think about the people you interact with. 
I can walk into Costco and I can buy the $3,000 TV if I want once. I can't do it every time, right? I can go buy the $150,000 car once if I wanted to. I could, I could cash that. I could buy a million dollar house if I want. I could do all that once. I'm not saying don't do it, okay? Um, but especially if we have kids, and this kind of goes back to this idea of, of giving, I think there's something that helps the human soul flourish when we deny ourselves things. It's almost like you know, I love to garden. And it's getting close to the time of year where I have to go and prune a bunch of my trees, right? Like I'm cutting off stuff. I'm cutting off stuff that that could potentially will grow. It'll grow fruit. But by the process of pruning, the tree actually becomes stronger. It's actually going to fruit more. So I do think that there's something um, really important about us exhibiting self-control. And remember, be who you want your kids to be. Do you want your kid to indulge in anything that they see with their money? No, you don't. Of course not. We tell our kids all the time, no, we can't do that. We lie to them. No, we can't afford that. Right. But right. the reality is we don't want them to be spoiled. But okay. yet yeah. we we do that for ourselves. So the process of denying ourselves certain things is I think it helps us flourish as humans. It helps us become more aware of the needs of others. Right. And I think that's huge. No, as, I as and giving does that by saying no again go back to this example of if i give a thousand dollars to someone i'm telling myself no to something that i want and i think i think it's a powerful thing um and uh as humans i think we flourish and i think it cuts across faiths no i will not... say i will say again my my background is christianity and i will say that jesus's teachings our problem, and, and this is—I don't think this is necessarily controversial. I think um, Jesus's teachings, especially the Sermon on the Mount, might be some of the most highest moral, ethical teachings in the ancient world, even even today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I think that actually has shaped a lot of people's giving in America. That, that's certainly—I don't necessarily think everyone is is a Christian or comes from that background, but I think that thinking, you know, people give, and I think that has been an influence. Just kind of a, just kind of as a, as a, as a, as kind of the environment that we live in 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 our cities and the people we interact with and the institutions that we interact with have been influenced by, uh, by some of that. But that, again, that's not a Christian thing. I had Mohammed on my um, yeah. show, Mohammed moment, and Mohammed's not a Christian. And Mohammed's story is is, is unbelievable. He's talking about like yeah. organization that he funds, like they're literally going into towns and um, places in the world that nobody will go to to give humanitarian aid like like we're talking about like middle eastern countries that have been ravaged that like his organization is going to serve and to love on these people and meet their their really their it's really unreal. real physical needs we're in a mid-roll ad no one talked to my friends over at manscaped i love working with manscaped they are such a phenomenal partner for me and uh, that's someone texting me right now wanting to order some product probably but uh you know i, I love having a beard uh but sometimes it gets unruly and i gotta get in there and take care of that with the beard hedger pro or i'm on the go and as you know i travel a lot i could throw the handyman in the bag it's a nice travel size situation there and works so well on the go go to manscape.com scroll to the bottom backslash mayor and get your 20% off plus free shipping 
Also, don't forget about my good friends over at Old School Marketing. It's O-L-D-E, School Marketing. Rusty and his team over there do a great job of taking care of your marketing needs in an old school way. They found a way to make old school in a new way with direct mailers using a handwritten method and a drip method to make it new school. You don't want to miss this opportunity to work with them. You've got to go check it out at OLDEschoolmarketing.com and uh, talk to somebody on their team and figure it out. Imagine getting that envelope. I was looking at the mail this morning um, before I came here because I forgot to check it yesterday. Um, and I saw a handwritten envelope and I was like, holy smokes. It was a card for my wife's birthday. But at the same time, it's exciting when you see that. So imagine your prospects getting that, opening that up and they see it's a message from you. Uh, check that out, oldschoolmarketing.com. Now let's get back to the show. It's fascinating to see whether it's you know, giving just for the sake of giving or giving when you're getting a product back and you know the proceeds go or if it's giving your time. And so I guess the ones that, because uh, one of the things I, when I consult with agencies, I talk to them about uh, getting involved in the community and giving of their time and doing that kind of thing. And what I'm doing when I talk about that is twofold. One it helps you to be seen in the community. It's kind of a marketing effort. And, you know, oh, look at the Garcia agency, whatever it might be. They're boots on the ground. They're really helping out in the community and are involved. But on the flip side, that is going back to what you're saying. It is giving of your time. And it is something to make yourself feel better. And, you know, the second part of that, I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, the younger generation, when they're looking at jobs, mm. they're looking at, things it's not necessarily a financial situation a lot of times they're looking for you know a job that will allow them to be involved in their community or go yeah. save the puppies or hug the trees or give to this organization or give to that one i think that's super fascinating and i wonder if you see much of that in your financial you know uh planning and in your career in this role do you see that is that your truth to that yeah, I think there's some I think there's definitely some truth. This is and I think studies would probably support that. I can't quote any, but I will say this. I think kind of like you and I are kind of at the the we're kind of these in we're like an in-between generation. Yeah. Right. When I look yeah, at the yeah, people yeah. when I look at the people older than me, they'll say stuff about younger people like that that dude just needs to get a job. He just needs to work. Like I don't know why he's left that job, and and then when you talk to the younger people, they're like yeah, but I don't support the I don't support what that company stands for, yeah, I don't, whatever it might be. So I I do think that there's a there's a more of a let's say values oriented approach to sure sure to millennials and and younger mm -hmm. to where they're, they're going to they're going to spend dollars probably as a group, spend their time as a group with organizations or businesses or corporations that are a little bit more aligned with their values. They might be a little bit more uh, political in that sense sure. um, where, you know, the generation above us might not be as much. Um, but yeah, I do, th I think that I do think that there's some truth to that. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's why when, when, when agencies, when you're designing your, you know, your compensation package, not everyone's driven by more money. I mean, some people are, but some people might be driven because the stuff you're involved in, in the community, they might be, they might be um, even, even forget the community for a second. Cause I think sometimes we overlook our own agencies, like as agency owners, what are we doing with our staff yeah. that 
you know, that me as an agency owner, what am I doing to pour into my staff? What am I doing giving of myself to them or of company revenue or yeah. something? Time. Uh, I have this thing where um, I have this thing where it's really hard for me as an owner to rob my staff of owner-like privileges. If I can get up and leave whenever I want to and not miss a game for my kid, like I feel really bad and really guilty. And our staff has like, man, if you have anything planned, especially with family, like, no, we're never going to say no. I'm never going to tell you no. Just give us a heads up, right? To me, that's part of giving, right? Because if, if you have a staff person that you're paying and they're not in, you're giving. I mean, you, let's be honest, like it, it costs money. Um, so, but I, I would say as owners, yes, community is important and we need to be conscious of the community. But man, if I can pour into my staff and my staff is pouring into our clients and our clients are pouring into our community, it's far more effective than me just you know, ignoring my staff and going into the community. But again, I think it's an ethos. It's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a culture. It's a way you carry yourself. Like we have one of our core values is consider others more valuable than yourself. Now people hear that sometimes you're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to devalue myself. I said, no, no, we're not devalue. I'm not devalue. If I think highly of myself and I I have, I have high self-esteem. I'm very confident individual, not arrogant, but I'm confident. That means when I'm dealing with Heath, like if I'm confident and I think of myself here, Man, how much higher do I have to treat Heath? That's fantastic. Yeah, no, you're right. So, all right. So my question is, putting on agency owner hat again, uh, and, and I find this to be a fun conversation because on the one hand, you have the teachings and people talking about, you know, implementing technology, implementing processes and procedures, especially Billy Wagner with his process, procedure, technology, you mentioned his name and you talk to or you listen to these podcasters and influencers and you talk about trying to save keystrokes and save time and save money and bottom line and this, that, and the other. And the flip side of that, we're talking right now about giving away and like you're talking about your staff, like you need to go to a ball game, go. You need to do this, go. I mean, on the one hand, as I'm saying this out loud, they can go together hand in hand, you know. Um, you know, on the other hand. It's kind of contradictory to say we need to make sure that we're implementing processes, procedures, technology, this, that, and the other to make sure that we save our bottom line, that we save our time, we save this and that. And then on the other hand, we're saying, let's give it all away. So, I mean, when you got agency owners listening to this right now, you know, and they might be questioning, no matter what their motivations are, they just want to be a successful business owner. Yeah. How do you answer that? I love it. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. I'm going to answer your question. All right. What is the most inefficient thing that we do as agency owners? Network. I was gonna say networking, but yeah, networking relationships. relationships. Relationships are one of the most inefficient things that you can yeah. do, right? Because think about it. Yeah. Our relationship was really. I mean, we, we it's been building over some time, but then we go to Indianapolis, and it's like it's like trash. It's like throwaway time, where our relationship really grew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you how do you how do you put that into a process? It's the same thing with our businesses. 100%. We build relationships. Yes, offering good service is is relationship building. It's a brick in the relationship with your client. But if you think offering good service is is the equivalent of having a good relationship with a client, you, you know you, you're you're totally misled because that client expects to be communicated to. They expect you to follow up with them. They expect certain things. Like you will never, ever, ever build. Again, you'll maintain a relationship by doing good service. So what I say is 
man, if there's something that I can turn into a process, let me turn it into a process. If I can become more efficient doing a particular task, let me become more efficient because I cannot become more efficient in building relationships. I need to free my time up to be able to be inefficient to build relationships because at the end of the day, that's where that's where you start to really build wealth. So the goal for me isn't just to introduce more technology so that you can fill your entire day with more technology. Yeah. Right? So like I want to use technology to make my team as efficient as possible with the tasks that we can make efficient so that they can be on the phone, answering phones, talking to people, having the conversations, going to networking events, whatever it may be, going to conferences to, you know, ride scooters with Heath, right? Uh, yeah, creating creating memories, creating yeah. experiences. That's where relationships are built. Relationships are built when you spend time typically at some high emotional or low emotional either peak or valley, right? If you yeah. think back about the relationships that you have with people and you think about the stories that you're going to tell, there were peaks or there were valleys, right? You met someone or they met you at a really low point and you shared an experience together and it impacted you. You had a really fun experience with somebody and yeah. it impacted you, right? Sometimes the plateaus, the everyday, you got to do them well, um, but you can't process relationships. You can't. You, you can't systematize them, right? And if you think about it just from a survival standpoint, man, I need money to eat and I need money to live. And, and if I've got that, then I'm good. Yeah. Um, and someone challenged that and said, wait, that that's crap, right? Like I'm happier if I have a million dollars a year in income than if I only have $70,000 a year in income. And uh, one of the researchers said, yeah, you're right, but here's where you're wrong, okay? It's not that you have a million dollars that makes you happier. What we have found was the people who make a lot of money, the ones that are happier are the ones that give away more money, that they do things for other people. They spend money on other people. Those are the ones who are the happiest, which is interesting, right? Because you think, oh, more money, the happier I am because I can buy cooler stuff. I can have nicer trips. Yeah. I can have nicer, I can buy more expensive steaks. Yeah. But the reality is it's, it's, it's no, you're happier when you spend money on, like go on an expensive trip, but bring your friends with you. Pay, pay for them, right? And it's fascinating you say that. So it's funny, the drafts that I do, you and I did one the last show. The drafts that I do, um, I've bled into my personal life now and my kids love them. Uh, they think they're funny. And I had a daddy daughter date last night with uh, my two girls. And we went to a little restaurant here in town and we were doing drafts. And the first draft that, you know, we came up with, when I was talking to him about if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? And to hear the girls, my 13 year old daughter, she was like, first thing I would do is I would uh, give it to her. She loves dogs. And so she was like, I would give to this such and such veterinarian clinic, blah, blah, blah. And it would be yeah. awesome. I was like, that's cool. And then she was like, uh, then I would give uh, such and such to this. And then she would buy this, this and this for herself, whatever it was. My youngest, 10 years old, um, she was like, first thing I would do is I would give it to the church and then I would give it to this and then I would give it to that. I was like, all right, cool. Um, and then a couple of rounds later, a couple of drafts later, we came back around. I was like, okay, what if it was an unlimited amount of money? And when I went that route of an unlimited amount, the first thing they said was I'd buy a mansion, I'd buy a Lamborghini, I'd buy this, I'd buy that. Mm. But when I capped it at 
a million dollars or two million dollars, the first thing they said was, I want to give it away. Interesting. I found that interesting. I don't know if that's just an odd study because of my kids or they just thought that's what I wanted to hear. But when I took away the cap, it was like, well, let me buy all this stuff for me first and then I'd give away some. But I just thought it was interesting. My daughter probably would have said the first thing she would have bought would have been Taylor Swift tickets. Right, 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 right. But uh, here's what's here's, and if you have kids, and um, I was talking to someone, this was years ago, and uh, we we're talking about their kids giving money, and they're like, man, my kid just wanted to give away all their money. And I said, let them. Like, what do you mean? I said, let them. Like, the kid was like, like five, six, or seven, somewhere in there, like a young kid. And like, what do you mean, let them? Like, they're not gonna have any money for themselves left over. I said, look, yeah, never, ever, ever stymie a charitable heart. The world, when those kids get older, the world will do a really good job of trying to convince your kid not to give money. You should encourage good, it. Yeah. And and what you should do, if you're worried about them giving away all their money, let them give it away. And you go open an account on the side and just put some money in there for them. But never, ever, ever discourage a child yeah. from kind of expressing themselves giving. You, you tube of toothpaste, right? You wake up in the morning and you just... Big old squirt of toothpaste and it drips into the sink, right? And you're like, oh, crap. And you put a little bit more, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Now, you know, we get to the end of the life of that toothpaste tube, man, and you are squeezing out every single piece of toothpaste. Like, you got no money to buy more toothpaste. But oh. yet, you do it. Like, you, you, that tube lasts another two weeks because you're just super frugal. It's the same thing with money. If we limit the amount of money, right, that we have to spend, we're going to figure out a way to spend less. If we don't limit ourselves, yeah, we're gonna spend it. This is yeah, why this yeah. is why you've heard people say, pay yourself first, right? Save your money first because if you can if you limit, let's say you make a quarter million a year. Okay. Or let's let's say, let's say you and your wife both work. Yeah. And you decide we're gonna save one of our incomes, a hundred percent of it. We're gonna save it. We're gonna give it, we're gonna save it, we're gonna invest it. So we have only uh one of our incomes to live on. You're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. And in yeah. 10 years from now, you're going to have a crap yeah. ton of money saved. And you're going to be able to say like, dude, I don't want to grind it out in this job anymore. Or I want to take a really nice trip with my family every year. And you're going to have the assets to do it. But if you don't make that conscious decision to say, we're going to live on one income or whatever, right? It's the big plate at the buffet or the full tube of toothpaste. You're going to misspend money. You're going to spend it on things that you that you may or may not value five years from now. Um, you're going to ask yourself the question, Geez, what what am I doing with my money? You know, where did it all go? We ask one question of our guests on our podcast every time. What's one thing about money you know today that you wish you would have known 20 years ago? Inevitably, the two most common answers, and they're 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 cousins. One is I wish I would have saved more. Yeah. Or I wish I would have started investing earlier. Yep. Right? Well, the only way to save more is to spend less. The only way to spend less is to deny yourself things that you otherwise can afford, which sounds so like draconian. Like, why would I tell myself no if I can afford this? Well, because right. 20 years from now, you're going to wake up wishing that you would have. Yeah. Now, 100%. since we're talking about research, this is fun. I think it was Yale. Uh, I think it was a study from Yale. Yale said the reason why people don't save is because saving for their older version of themselves is akin to giving money away to a stranger. Because they can't see themselves as older. Oh, right? wow. That's so the way to get people, and Merrill Lynch, I think it was Merrill Lynch, they came out with a tool that would age you. Like It was like, this was a few years ago, like aging technology. So you could see old Heath. You could relate to old Heath. 
and it would inspire you to start saving more money for old Heath. I'm going to tell you right now. So we're in February. My my wife's birthday is on Valentine's Day, which is coming up real soon. So I got double whammy there. And so, mm. you know, typical month, typical days, you know, I, I'll stop by, you know, coffee shop or I'll go grab a beer with a buddy after work or I'll go do this or have lunch with a buddy or go buy coffee or do whatever. You know, every time, you know, February comes around, like this time of year, I'm like, man, I, I need to not do this, this or this, because I got to get my wife not only Valentine's present, but also birthday present. And I need to make sure I save enough, take her out for a nice dinner and be romantic, get flowers, do the whole thing. So my mindset changes in February. Same thing in December when it comes to Christmas or, you know, such and such. But really right now, I really start thinking about it. I drove by this coffee shop that I go to a lot. Um, I think, man, I could pull in there get me a good cup of coffee, uh, some chicory. I don't know if you do chicory or not, but uh, good stuff. And I was like, the New yeah. Orleans thing. I'm not a yeah. huge fan, but whatever. Uh, this one place has a, anyway, they do a good job. Uh, I was like, man, I can go in there and get me a cup of coffee. I was like, That's $8. Uh, but I don't necessarily need. Uh, or, uh, you know, little things like that. Or a buddy of mine calls, hey, let's meet at Waffle House for lunch today. And I was like, yeah, I could. You know, but I could also save that $15, mm. whatever that would have, you know, and, yeah, you know, you start thinking like that. If you're listening to this, you know, you start correlating that to your agency or start correlating to your future self that Eric's talking about. Um, that little example of Heath's wife's double whammy birthday Valentine's Day, it was same thing with your agency. Uh, one day I want to be able to do this, 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 and this. Here's how so it I manifests itself in the agency. Now. Here's how it manifests itself in the agency. I'm working at my agency. I'm young. I'm making money. I'm not really thinking about 10, 15, 20 years from now when I potentially might want to sell. Okay. We see it all the time. You get 15, 20 years. This is a brutal, it can be a brutal, especially if you're coastal, Lord have mercy. It's It can be brutal uh, business, right? There's things that you're doing today that you're just not going to want to do 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. So let's start preparing for that potentiality or that inevit inevitability. Right. So how do we do that? We got to start funding something else so that when it's time for me to exit my business, I just did a, a series with with Carrie Wallace and we talked about that. Like you have to be financially ready to exit your business. You don't get financially ready three days before you sign the documents. You start getting financially ready like, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, it goes it goes back to the old saying the kids are saying or used to. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Oh, I, I like that. I like that. So that goes back to this vision of, hey, what could tomorrow possibly look like? It's a really important thought exercise. What could what can tomorrow be read? What could tomorrow look like? Now let me start preparing myself for that inevitability or that potentiality today. What decisions do I need to start making today that will prepare me for tomorrow? You know, I talk to a lot of agency owners on this show about niches and about developing yeah. niches. You know, and just like we talked about there, you have a specific niche in your financial practice, and that is my my audience here, you know, mm, people mm -hmm. that I'm talking to. Yeah. And you ask them, you know, a question. And, I, you know, every time I, I hear this, I always think about the Avengers. Um, but, you know, what is your end game, right? Is that? Oh, yeah. What's your end game? Yeah. Um, I love, I don't know if you're an Avengers guy, but I'm a huge Marvel guy. And so uh, there was a Marvel. Avengers in games. But anyway, um, so tell me a little bit about how you got to that, you know, how, where, where that came from, how you got to your niche <laughs> being your competition. It was kind of, it was kind of like, it's kind of an embarrassing story, actually. Oh, uh, wow. I love embarrassing stories. It's kind of, a, 
Well, it's just kind of like one of those things like, holy crap, it's right in front of you. Like, you know, like, where are my glasses? Right. Like if you're looking for your glass, like they're on, they're in your face, they're in your face. Dude, no, I just, I connected really early on with, um, Ryan Hanley, Jason Cass and the mastermind. Like I told you, remember I had a shortcut, my, my learning curve. Um, so I was, I was kind of active in those groups. And, um, at first, at first that Jason's organization was about digital marketing, right? His DEMA, uh, digital insurance marketing Academy or something that him and, and, and Ryan Hanley put together. Yeah. And a lot of it was finding your, you know, how to, how to do social and YouTube and videos and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, eventually the conversation started about the importance of, of having your niche in your business. And, and I always thought about that in context of the insurance side, right? Like the insurance side, man, I really don't need a niche on the insurance side. We do, we do property insurance rates are so stinking high. Started developing some business there. And then, um, I was talking to a buddy of mine who he, his niche market is collegiate basketball coaches. And this was a, this was about two years ago. Yeah. And he said, um, and he, he, I've got a group of financial planners. It's kind of a mastermind. We meet, we meet fairly regularly and we're in text groups and we're always bouncing ideas and business things off of each other. And he told me, we were talking about marketing and niche marketing and clientele. And he said, Eric, you'd be really stupid if you didn't niche market with insurance agency owners. And I'm like, holy crap, it's right there. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it's me. I get it. I understand the 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 challenges, the obstacles. I I go to your conferences, um, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I I can solve your problems. So light bulb moment hits you, and then how did you come up with what's your end game? Like, how did was that just something you heard yourself repetitively asking the question of, or like is that something that just hit you, or was it a God thing, or was it a, all the above thing? We we've done a lot of kind of cut my teeth earlier in my career on um on business planning and succession planning and buy sell planning, like getting out and getting exiting businesses and like that. Well, what's your end game, right? Like, hey Heath, what do you want to do? You're you're you know eventually you're going to leave your business. They're going to drag you out. Are you going to walk out voluntarily? Um, you know, I'm like, Oh, agent end game. There we go. What's your end game? That's it. That's so, how that, we, so that's where that came from. That's where you. it came from. That's right. So tell me a little bit, if you want to, uh, I'd love to give you a little space here. We talked about it a little bit last time. We didn't have enough time to get too much into it, but is there anything, you know, as you've got a, an audience right now of insurance agency owners and maybe potential agency owners or future agency owners. Um, what is something that, you know, you'd like to talk to them about right now, as far as developing that, if they've never thought about it, let's say they're sitting there listening right now and, you know, I never thought about my end game. Yeah. I want to retire someday, but maybe they're like my dad, my dad's 80. He's still working to this day. And he's like, I don't want to retire. I love it too much. You know, maybe because he didn't save properly or maybe he really does love it. I don't know. But, what if people haven't thought about what's your yeah? Plan? What what I, you bring up a really good point. Maybe they don't want to retire. Maybe their end game is to work until they're dead, and that's perfectly fine, right? And yeah. and that's what's important is that you need to determine that for yourself and not let it don't let it be dictated to you. We're in an industry where we can make a lot of money. We can save a lot of money. We can build a lot of wealth. We can also blow. A lot of money, we can blow a lot of wealth. We can find ourselves twenty years from now asking ourselves, "What the hell did I do with all my money?" Yeah, true. Or, or all of our money is tied up in in illiquid assets, right? We're throwing it at different venture capital 
projects and, and taking a lot of risk or it's all tied up into our agencies and we just can't take it out because we've gotten addicted to, to a high income and to keep it going, it's really, really hard. It's really, really, really stressful. So I, I would say you, you just, part of it is sitting down and, and thinking through like, what is my end game? And I, 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 I believe 100%, this sounds self-serving, but I believe 100% in the value of, of many advisors right? Wisdom, counsel, the counsel, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Um, I think you should surround yourself with professional people who um, can help you think through some of these complicated things. You're like, oh, what's, what's so complicated about money? I save and then, and then I have enough later on. Well, it's not necessarily about just the saving part of it. It's about what, like some of the more fun situations I get to plan with is when you have a blank slate ahead of you. Like, yeah. dude, you can do anything you want. What do you want to do? So I, I think every, I 100% think that every business owner, not just insurance agency owner, should sit down with a financial planner one time early in their career. If it's just one time. Now we work, uh, the way we like to work with our clients is in an ongoing relationship because there's constant input and variable into your financial life. So we've modeled our um our, our, our contract over ongoing financial advice as opposed to a one-time financial planning. And we can do, we can do a, a, um, a one-time engagement for sure. But we have it to where you're paying us a monthly fee for ongoing financial advice because there's constant new input. And I don't want to be like the attorney or like the CPA that you're scared to call. I don't want that. I want that like I am your financial Google. I am sitting next to you. That's why I don't have a huge clientele. I don't have I don't I don't work with the masses because it is physically impossible for me to know your situation and and 300 other people's situation. I just can't do it. Right. And yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's awesome uh, that you figured that out. And I think for those listening to this that would like to get in touch with you and talk to you more about it, is there a good way for them to find you or would you rather find the agency or is there an email address? Go to agentendgame.com. Real simple. Okay. Agent singularendgame.com and there um, you can book an, a, a you know a discovery call with me there. Um, we have some good resources there. Agent Endgame. And guys, you're not just getting a good financial planner, but an agency owner as well that's set in your shoes, that kind of knows, it has been to the conferences, it's talked to the people. You're, you're my brother, man. Like you know, the right. Heath, Heath Sheeran, the mate. Hey, man, Sherpa Heath. All right, brother.